the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. My name is Keisha King. I'm a mom of two, one who's in the Duval County public school system and one in private school thanks to school choice. I'm also a member of Moms for Liberty, uh, representing thousands of parents. Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory, where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. That's exactly what critical race theory does, and somehow some way and by the way thanks to keisha king she's an african-american in florida speaking to the state board of education which did follow the lead of governor ron DeSantis in declaring that critical race theory shall not be taught in k-12 through classrooms in florida public schools but having african african-americans particularly people of color speaking out against critical race theory for what it does which is flat out institute racism uh, is extraordinarily important but yet here in the state of ohio we have no such protections. There is no such movement afoot from the governor comparing Mike DeSantis, Mike DeWine, by the way, to Ron DeSantis is just a joke, to the state legislator, legislatures. rather. Um, nobody's listening here in the state of Ohio. Joining us now to discuss that and more, as it is a Tuesday, which makes it a Kersenow day, is Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney. He is a uh, writer for National Review and other publications, as well as a best-selling author. Peter Kersenow, good morning, sir. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing all right, Pete. Um, I'd be doing a lot better if our state would catch up with other quote-unquote red states and and call out critical race theory for the divisive, dangerous, Marxist theory that it really is. It's all those things, uh, but uh, you should take heart. Uh, the state may be behind a few other states like Florida and Oklahoma, and I think Idaho's got one now and, and one or two others. Remember, the bulk of states still haven't gotten there, but Ohio has two bills, and I'm happy to say that uh, one of the bills is kind of patterned after uh, some draft legislation I put together, uh, along with uh, Mike Goldstein, who uh, did yeoman's work on it. And, um, you know, we submitted it down to the General Assembly, and some people took it and ran with it. So we've got two bills now, HB 322 and 1327, both of which are similar to many of the other bills you may have seen. I actually took it for, from the um, executive order that Trump had uh, prepared back in October. And I'm happy to, you know, say, and I'll, I'll take, uh, I'd like to brag about the fact that I had a little bit of input into that one, too. But the bottom line here is that, uh, you know, we want to respect the First Amendment. Uh, we don't want to dictate what is being instructed, but no one has a right to spew hatred and lies to kids. And that's what critical race theory does. All the defenders of critical race theory cannot defend it on that basis. When you talk to them about truth, tell me what about critical race is true and tell me also how it is not child abuse. 
We listen to so many parents, and you just uh, cited one who happen, happens to be African-American. We hear from more and more black parents all the time. Which matters so very much. It, it does. It does. Unfortunately, in our society today, you know, uh, you don't have any legitimacy on these issues unless you are, quote, a person of color. But nonetheless, you have a lot of people, a lot of Asian parents, Hispanic parents, black parents, and white parents who are outraged by this because they know intuitively that, first of all, it's a giant lie. And on top of that, they also know that it is child abuse of the first magnitude. We shouldn't be tolerating this, and we shouldn't be playing patsy with the people who are trying to foist this on our kids. We wouldn't tolerate any other form of child abuse from these folks. And while it's not physical child abuse, it may be in some respects more long-lasting because it tells kids that their only worth is how much pigment they have in their right. skins. This is horrific. It's anti-American. It's immoral. And not just the, you know the, the, their only worth is in how much pig, pigmentation, but the evil that they possess inside them is also di- dictated by you know the the melanin that they have. Um, I, Pete, I've been engaging in a bit of a back and forth with somebody, and as we talk about our children, our students, and so on and so forth, this is worth sharing uh, again. The prince, the assistant principal at Menor High School is named Adam Dudziak, or Dudziak. I don't really care about the pronunciation, but uh, somebody alerted me to a post of his on Facebook. And I looked into him a little bit more. Turns out he's a failed political candidate, ran for the Ohio House in District 60, 61 against Jamie Callender and lost soundly. But this is his uh, belief. This is on his Facebook page. Quote, the right has been falsely hiding behind the terms cancel culture, First Amendment rights, and educators indoctrinating with liberal ideas. The truth is they are only fighting for white supremacy and power. We must teach the truth. That does not mean our history is all negative or we are going to penalize white kids. And I'll stop right there and say, if they're teaching criminal race theory, that is exactly what it means. It does mean changing our history. It does mean teaching white kids that they are bad, that they are evil, they are inherently into their DNA because of their ancestry, racist, and they are oppressors. Um, this is the mentality, again, now he's the assistant principal at Menor. He's the principal of their summer school program, which, by the way, he uses so far as the dodge to coming onto my radio program and trying to defend some of these incredible statements. He says uh, uh, their, their summer session ends on July 31st. He'll think about coming on to do an interview with me after that. But, Pete, this is indicative of the public school mindset. This is an administrator, a former actual classroom teacher, who says critical race theory uh, is perfectly fine to teach in classrooms and, as a matter of fact, is necessary to stop people on the right from proposing misinformation that is used to promote white supremacy. Yeah, Bob, you know, I, I didn't realize that I was promoting white supremacy. Um, I guess, <laughs> you know, you and Larry Elder and Leo Terrell and uh, Keisha well, Keisha King, the the woman we heard at the beginning. You're all proponents of white supremacy. Yeah, yes, you know, I, I my, I'm looking around here. I, I'm, I'm trying to find my hood here, but I can't find it. Can't, can't grasp it right away. I have I have a lot of them all over. I got one in my trunk of my car. Um, well, I don't know who this individual is, but I do know that I've heard similar statements from a lot of other educators, quote-unquote. And look, we have a lot of people who are doing a great job in education, but there is, without question, it's usually on the, the top levels of the um, 
uh, educational establishment. It is, you know, it's, it's those folks who are parts of teachers unions. And I'm gonna, I want to paint. I don't want to paint a broad brush like they do, but there is a significant cohort of educators, but mainly the educational establishment, the educational elite, who are. Th- this has been something they have been doing for more than. 30 years, and now it has reached a critical mass where people are seeing it. It's visible. Some of us who've been laboring in the vineyards for a while have been waving our arms saying, hey, watch out for this stuff. This stuff is poisonous. It's going to hurt us, and it's expanding, and nobody's paying attention to it. And I think one of the things that occurred uh, recently is, well, several things. One is that this thing went public big time with the New York Times 1619 project that was then disseminated to about 5,000 school districts. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is the pandemic, where parents actually saw some of this instruction firsthand because they watched it on video, because people were getting instruction at home. And they were stunned by this. It's one thing to you know, have your kid come home and say, well, you know, we learned that the United States and the, the United States Revolution was fought to preserve slavery. You know, a flat out fall. I mean, that's science fiction. Um, it's one thing to hear from your kid that that was the case. And, you know, we've all got kids and we have our kids that tell us something. We believe our kids, of course. But we also know kids have a tendency maybe to, to you know, exaggerate a little bit or maybe just, uh, you know, maybe not get it completely right. But also there's the optical element of it. Human beings are, you know, we're visual creatures. And when you see it, as opposed to just hearing it secondhand, you're stunned by it. And those that try to downplay it, it may be that in certain school districts, it is not something that is so overtly racist. But w- when you look at the instructional materials that a number of parents and parent groups have sent to me, that you see online, that you see you know, reported by various organs, you look at this and you're stunned by it. it you, the, the, I've said this, I think, before. I don't know if it's on your show, but I'm sure you've said something similar. But you can take a look at You can read the history of the Cold War starting with the late 1940s, going all the way up to the 1970s. But there were, you know, the Venona Cables and others, and you can see that the Soviet leaders were trying to do just this. They thought one of the most effective ways of undermining the United States of America and making a crash and burn was to infect our educational establishment with this kind of poison. And they they tried, but but couldn't do it. But then we are doing it voluntarily. You know, some of it, it it began a long time ago, just very gradually. Uh, But you look at the the Howard Zinn version of history, you look at what's happening with critical race theory, and now here we have, you know, significant, I I don't know what the percentages are, but all across America, students are being taught this, K through 12 and in colleges, and uh, there was there have been Soviet propagandists. You can actually see videos of this online. Soviet propagandists from the 1960s talking about how to get this into our system. This is not some conspiracy theory. They're, they're saying this overtly. And now here we are. We're taking it and running with Soviet undermining of our democracy and, and pushing it down into our kids. I can't think of anything Number, number, number one, more stupid, but also more dangerous to the existence of the greatest nation on earth. And that's another thing they want, try to do, tell us that somehow we're evil, and that's the predicate for them completely uprooting the foundations of democracy and turning it into something it's not meant to be. Peter, um, I have said a lot of what you just said, not nearly as eloquently or artfully, um, 
And people have referred to me, and these are mostly left-wingers who are supporters, for example, of this assistant principal that I've been discussing online. They would call what you just said McCarthyism. You're, you're calling this critical race theory, you know, you just mentioned it's communist, you know, you're talking about uh, the Soviet influence and so on and so forth. This is just a repeat of McCarthyism. First of all, I might challenge whether or not McCarthyism was as bad as history has made it out to be, because it, he wasn't necessarily wrong in a lot of cases, number one. Number two, though, is they're dismissing this as just being, you know, another red scare. How do you respond to that? Well, first of all, it's completely ahistorical, and I'd invite them to go take a look at their history with respect to McCarthyism all the way up. I'd really invite them to read some original tracts and also some of the expositions by people who lived through communism. My favorite, of course, and I cite it all the time, is Alexander Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And, you know, I don't know which one to uh, refer you to. There's so many good lines in it. But you could read the Gulag Archipelago, a little bit of a hard slog, admittedly, or One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Um, What you see there is something it is. What we're experiencing now, obviously, is Soviet light. It's nothing. We don't have gulags yet. But what we do have is this... um, Hegemony that's grown in the United States of America, it it involves a lot of different elements, and it involves cancel culture, it involves the monopoly power of these various institutions like Facebook and Twitter, and they enforce a uniformity of thought and speech that has consequences if you depart therefrom. It is chilling in its effect. It also has a mindset that instructs people to think in this one doctrinaire fashion. And any departure from that is also something that, you know, with kids, it won't get you necessarily fired because you're in school, but it'll get you ostracized. And many children have talked about that. And and let's face it, kids, when their teachers are telling them something, are reluctant to challenge it, especially when it seems to be something that, um, is for their good, and, and, and that when you start to pit people on the pieces of skin color, because United, in the United States of America, contrary to what uh, the left is saying, look, almost all over the place, people are essentially good people. And in the United States especially, because we have overcome just horrific racial division, and not completely, of course, but the left is doing as much as they can to fan those flames, we have in the United States of America in a... a, a Good people who reject forthrightly racism of all stripes. I mean, we do. What they are saying here is completely contrary to what the facts are. That's not McCarthyism. Trying to, to, to correct facts is not McCarthyism. McCarthyism is trying to cancel people. Who's doing the canceling right now? That's right. Ask yourself, who's doing the canceling? Well, that's yeah. They they'll call that they call that a conspiracy theory too. They say the cancel culture is just a term we conservatives have made up in order to allow us to engage in hate speak, hate speech, and that if we are held accountable for our hate speech, that we're hiding behind quote cancel culture. Maybe you can explain to me this love letter that you wrote to the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. Apparently you're smitten or something. I'm trying to make heads or tails of this. I don't think I can. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, for those who do not know, the mayor of Chicago, uh, announced a policy a few weeks back that she would only conduct interviews with uh, reporters of color, claiming that the reporting field or the journalist, journalism field is too predominantly white in order to support reporters of color. Those are the only people she would give interviews to. One might describe this as, I don't know, racially discriminatory. 
Peter Kersenow, in your capacity as a member of the Civil Rights Commission, what would you do here? Well, you know, um, I think it's important for those of us who operate in the field of civil rights and elsewhere, frankly, almost everybody should be weighing in. Whenever we see something as, well, frankly, it's racist. Is it invidious racism? I mean, is it going to hurt people badly? I mean, I don't know. Uh, But it's also dumb and just objectionable. I think my biggest uh, objection with it is that it is just one of the stupidest things I've ever seen from an elected official in 2021, definitely, or for the last few years. As you know, she said, no more interviews to white reporters because, my goodness, uh, you know, we need more black people and people of color to be uh, interviewing me uh, because I get there are too many white reporters out here. I, I don't remember everything that she said, but I remember listening to her and it sounded ludicrous. It sounded like somebody who has lost their minds completely. It's 2021, and she's engaging in overt discrimination as if it's accepted. And understand something, Bob, you and I have talked about this, is over the last several years, clear overt discrimination seems to be acceptable in certain quarters. Uh, among which are the Biden administration and much of major media. The Biden administration Last time, you know, Bob, you and I talked about this, I was on Fox News a little bit about a week ago. There were two courts that had repudiated the Biden administration's overtly racially discrimination dis- distribution of COVID relief benefits. Had only been certain COVID relief benefits were only designated for, quote unquote, people of color. Whites were not eligible. And uh, just a couple of days ago, another uh, federal court said, not can't do this stuff. They they have promulgated a number of overtly racially discriminatory policies. There are a proliferation of racially discrimination discriminatory policies throughout the country at the state and local level in our colleges. Uh, it's extraordinary the number of programs that are exclusively designated only for people of color, whites sometimes explicitly excluded, and it produces nothing more than a yawn. Um, you, we can't do this. This goes along with critical race theory, because it is now among many of our elites and um, the, the uh, professional class accepted that you whites are bad and therefore it's okay it's okay to discriminate against whites even if it is contained in ordinances statutes programs and so forth pete i kind of called it just uh off the top of my head revisionist history now uh normally that's a bad thing that's the left trying to for example just in the most obvious and egregious of examples tell us that the U.S. wasn't founded in 1776. The revisionist history is that it was founded in 1619 in order to essentially uh, preserve slavery. And that's when it began. Uh, but in this case, we want to revise the incorrect history that has been written over the last four years about Donald Trump, because there have been a lot of instances uh, where Donald Trump was blamed or accused of one thing, or Donald Trump said one thing that was patently dismissed by the left, that now that he's out of office, we're starting to see things come true. Uh, and I know you want to focus on a number of these things. I'll start. And that is the obvious one. And that is the president's announcement very early on in his administration that this massive pandemic that has enveloped the world over the course of the last year and a half was something that was born of the Chinese communists in a Wuhan laboratory, not from a bad bowl of bat soup in some wet market. Um, The president is being proven right as more and more people on both the right and even 
the Biden administration on the left saying we need to find out uh, the reality of where this thing began. Your thoughts? Now that the left, the media, academia, Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, have accomplished their objective, that is getting Trump out of office, some of the facts are coming out and the lies are being exposed. And it's really extraordinary. There are several different repositories of the lies you can go to online now that show not 5, 10, 15 major lies, but they rank into the hundreds. And most of us knew about them. You and I have talked about them, and I know you you talked about them extensively on your show. But the major media kept suppressing the truth and repeating lies even after the facts came out and should have been reported by the media. But they had to drive a narrative. The first one of course, was the giant Russia hoax, that somehow Trump was was in bed, almost literally, with the Russians, and they got him elected. This is something that consumed us for three years, turned out to be every single thing about it was wrong. Everything, and not just wrong, but lies. Lies were being told about it, and the media perpetuated them. I mean, pick your poison as to which ones were, were worse, but there were so many related to the Russia hoax. But then think about all the other ones that the media ran with. Democrats would say something, the media would, would run with it, and then when the truth finally came out, um, you wouldn't hear any reporting. And sometimes, if you did see, hear reporting, you would see a stealth revision of the original report by the news organ who had reported it. We've seen that the New York Times and others would go back to their previous headlines and edit them without highlighting or alerting anybody that they were now changing the true essence of the story completely to be just 180 degrees opposite. They had accomplished their objective and now they don't want to be caught in history when people have time to go back and look at it and, and verify the facts. They don't want to be caught perpetually a lie, like they did back in the 1930s with Walter Durante saying, oh, there's no famine in Ukraine, and, you know, don't worry about the Soviet Union. They're not a big problem. But we have the Russia hoax. Remember Charlottesville, when they lied about what Trump supposedly said at Charlottesville, when they, when they said Trump was, was championing white racists and claiming that there were good people on both sides of this, of this particular, that was a complete and other falsehood. Many of us called it out at the time, but if you talk to many people on the left right now, because they only see MSNBC, CBS, ABC, and all those, they truly still believe that that happened. Hydroxychloroquine is one of the ones that just came out recently. Trump embraced hydroxychloroquine. He didn't say it was a cure, but he said it could be helpful. And my goodness, a complete frontal assault by the media against hydroxychloroquine. And this one had major consequences because a number of institutions refused then to distribute hydroxychloroquine, administered hydroxychloroquine, and you know the big tech companies suppressed any information about it. We don't know how many people died as a result of that because hydroxychloroquine was virtually banned by our elites because Trump supported it. Then we have, you know, the Wuhan lab just came out again. You know, we, we get the release of the Fauci emails. Many of us didn't trust Fauci from the very beginning because he seemed to be very slippery and on both sides of every issue when it came to the coronavirus. But Trump said early on he had seen evidence that this um, had originated and escaped from a Chinese lab. And oh my goodness, you had 
everybody in the world going completely ballistic, claiming this is a conspiracy theory. And then the last couple of weeks, it looks like what many of us believed anyway, because it was common sense, was in fact the case that there was. And we still don't know whether or not this was intentional in terms of manufacturing something that could hurt the rest of the world. But at bare minimum, it was something that came from the Wuhan lab, was leaked, and the Chinese, if they weren't uh, intentionally doing this, were just just grossly negligent in releasing this to the rest of the world. We do know, of course, that they quarantined off their provinces, so it couldn't uh, you know, spread to the rest of China, but they allowed people to travel from Wuhan to the rest of the world as freely as they wanted to do. So you take uh, from that what you will. I mean, you can go down the list, Bob. There's so many. The, the kids in the cages, the Ukraine hoax, you know, the Biden laptop and, and uh, claiming it was Russian disinformation. Um, the claim that, you know, Trump didn't do anything about Russian bounties being placed on our troops in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it's it, it just so many of these. I would refer your readers. There are a number of different repositories that have compiled the overt lies. I, I don't use that lightly. Sometimes people make mistakes in reporting. But when you have evidence in front of you that contradicts what your narrative is, and you nonetheless ignore it and continue to perpetuate you know, a false story, despite the fact that the best evidence showed that it is false, then that's a lie. And Cheryl Atkinson, for example, the, the great reporter, has a yeah. list of well over 100 of these. But there are other repositories of this. You can just go online and find all the lies. And they were big lies. They were the essence of what Trump was doing. And now we see, because we've got this daughter in, in office, in just four months, everything that's measurable has gotten worse. Despite the fact that the media are giving him big sloppy kisses for all the things he's doing, when you look at what's going on with inflation and employment, every measure that you typically use to evaluate how a president is performing, things are getting worse, inarguably worse. But hey, guess what? Trump's not in office, so all is good. Well, it won't be good when we continue to capitulate to China. When we get, um, you know, uh, uh, circles run around us by our other adversaries, including I'm, I'm look, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the president doesn't do anything to hurt Americans in interest when he meets with Vladimir Putin. But does anybody trust that can he hold his own with him? I don't think that he can hold his own with, frankly. I don't know, your, your average uh, small city mayor, who's probably a lot more adept and alert than, than Joe Biden is. But Vladimir Putin, as Trump has said, Vladimir Putin's a bright guy, a serious guy, and he's a dangerous guy. And he's probably taken the measure, as everyone else has, of Joe Biden, despite the fact that our media engages in you know, the pumping up of this individual. Everybody with a brain can look at what we have as the president of the United States and know that this is maybe the most incompetent individual to ever hold that office. At least I hope he's the most incompetent, because I'd be scared to think that we've had more incompetent people in that office. But on top of that, he's way past his cell date. Pete, uh, I think Joe Biden would lose a bilateral debate with a, with a lima bean, uh, and and the worst thing is, is I think that he would think the bean is talking. He would he would actually he would engage he would engage and say that's a good point and and probably capitulate. I'm not I, I'm, I'm I am joking a little, but very little. Um, 
he embarrassed himself on the world stage in his remarks at the G7. It's going to be even worse in his conversation with uh, with Putin, whatever is we're allowed to see. Uh, he's mumbling and stumbling and bumbling through his own notes. He's talking to himself, saying, well, oh, I, I shouldn't negotiate this in public. Uh, he, he doesn't know Libya from Syria. I mean, these are the kinds of things. He's been in politics and in D.C. for, what, nearly 50 years. Donald Trump, as an outsider, was often accused of not knowing all of of the world issues and so forth because he's been, you know, a game show host and a real estate mogul and blah, blah, blah. He's not really a politician and the left used his inexperience against him. He understood world politics and geopolitics better than Joe Biden ever could after 50 years, at least based on the current state of Joe Biden's mental faculties. And I asked, uh, um, I asked uh, Jim Jordan about this yesterday. What I'll ask you is when we send that guy to the world stage, how much weakness does it project in the United States? I feel like our enemies, and it's not just China, and it's not just Putin and Russia, uh, but you know, but it's Iran, it's you know, it's terror groups like Hamas. Um, I think our world enemies are emboldened that if there's ever a time to go get the United States and to take massive bites out of their world superpower status, that time is right now. With this doddering old fool in charge, uh, with their military more concerned with their level of wokeness than their level of preparedness, this is the time to go get the U.S. Weakness invites aggression. History has taught that. It's one thing when somebody like a Biden embarrasses himself. But when he's on the world stage, he is embarrassing the United States of America. We are the people who put him in that office, and that suggests something about us. And what it suggests is all manner of things, but the kind of things that cause China, Russia, Iran to say, now's the time to expand our influence, now's the time to strike, because this individual is not going to push back, and even if you were inclined to push back, he wouldn't know how to do it. This is a dangerous period of time. This is not, despite the fact that Joe Biden engaged in politics, despite the fact that he was, uh, you know, off our continent, and, you know, the, the typical rule is that you don't engage in partisan politics when you are away from the United States of America. But he's not, you know, I, I don't think, despite the fact that he's been in office for 50 years, he remembers anything about that or the danger in doing that. But these countries led by serious people are evaluating precisely what's going on, and we may not be able to see overtly, manifestly what they are doing to harm our interests, but believe me, they're going to try to make hay while the sun shines. That is, as long as Biden is in office, they know now's the time to do something. They couldn't under Trump. They chafed under Trump, and many of those who chafed were our G7 allies, let's face it, because Trump put America first. He said to them, pay up your in your NATO commitment. He said to them, I am not going to sacrifice American interests just to feel good with all of you guys. Biden, on the other hand, he says, well, America's back, which we really means is America's on its back and you guys can walk all over us again. That's why, you know, they're so effusive over at the G7, because they know, oh, we're going to be supplying Europe with, uh, you know, climate change funds and all kinds of the other things that leftist Europe wants. They don't want the kind of strong America that looks out for its own interests and is going to ask questions 
before we just open up a pocketbook or send over our troops to assist them. Ask questions about the Nord Stream uh, pipeline that goes to Russia. Why are we paying for the defense of Germany against Russia when they're partnering with Russia with respect to this pipeline? This is just nutty stuff. These are the questions, unfortunately, that a Blinken and a Biden, kind of sounds like uh, Snow White here, but a Blinken and Biden don't ask. Trump, as you indicated, with absolutely no background in politics, and maybe that was his big advantage, asked the right questions to protect American interests. Whatever you think of Donald Trump as a person, what he did for the United States in protecting national security interests was, could only be matched by, by Ronald Reagan in the last 60 years. You know, the, the best way, for, well, one of the best ways to um, really view this, Pete, is not through your conservatively biased eyes or my conservative conservatively biased eyes or the leftist uh, leftist biased eyes of of joe biden and his fans and supporters but i saw um a video yesterday of an australian television station doing political coverage of the g7 and they did three and a half four minutes on the difference in the way the american press now this again was the australian press opining about the way the American press covered the G7, there's covering this G7, compared to, to when President Trump first went to that uh, to those talks. And they played the videos back-to-back. And the videos of the current one is, you know, Joe Biden arrives, you know, for a meeting with his fellow dignitaries and blah, 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 all very, you know, polished and professional. And then they played the clip of the same CNN crew covering uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump's first visit to the G7. And they they described it as the CNN uh, 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 journalists and broadcasters described it as the G7 or more accurately, the G6 against one. And then proceeded to slam and 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 to slander, uh, or or I guess it would be libel, right? Uh, no slander in in person or in uh, spoken. Anyway, uh, Donald Trump uh, before the talks even began. So you know that's that's the part about all of this. The opponents of the United States are lauding Joe Biden at these talks and at the NATO talks because they love the idea that he's in power because he can take advantage of us. They loathed Donald Trump going over there with his America first mentality that wasn't going to be doing everything that they wanted him to do. And I think that says a lot. Forget about our bias and the leftist bias. Look at the outsider viewpoint. Australia has no dog in this fight. And even they were ridiculing the way that Donald Trump was treated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with all of that. And I saw part of that clip that you're referring to. The bottom line here is that no, it's not the bottom line, but is one of the lines is, as someone has described, we have a media that's supposed to be the referee. They're supposed to be calling balls and strikes. And we know that there's always been bias, but now it's, it's no longer simply bias. We have, as somebody put it, and I'll use the term they put it, and you can take it from, uh, and I don't mean to take a broad brush, but when we're talking about national media with the possible exception of few people at Fox or Fox Business, Newsmax maybe, but the major national media organs are garbage. They're flat out It used to be that you would have a bias. Walter Cronkite, some people didn't even realize he had a bias at the time until you heard about it later. But you all, we all had a sense that they were leaning slightly to the left. They might put a more favorable spin on something that a Democrat did versus a Republican. But it wasn't something that was a complete and utter uh, suppression of information or lying about facts. And they're doing it right now. Most of us who've been around for a long time are astonished by this because it is no longer bias. It's astonishing for us to use terms like lie when it comes to major 
news items yeah. and when it comes to major media, but they are doing it. And why use lie, I mean lie when someone knows what the truth is, knows what the facts are, and tells you something different. It's the only one thing to misreport. They know this stuff, and then when they are caught, they don't even do anything about it. Or as I indicated before, they surreptitiously edit online the pieces that they had wrote, written about before that were false. Yeah, that's what they do, and nobody ever sees corrections, or nobody ever uh, sees you know uh, uh, you know walkbacks the way they did the original statements. And by the way, going back to Cronkite and others, the only reason they were just slightly more slanted and not really as egregious as it is today is there was no pushback. They could get away with it. There was no Fox News, there was no Rush Limbaugh, there was no conservative talk radio or conservative websites actually calling them out. They have to be more brazen now with their lies because we are out there. And we are pushing back. You know, Cronkite had the floor to himself, so he could—he didn't have to be, you know, crazy about it. Uh, but the networks back then, uh, whatever they said, everyone believed because there was no reason to think otherwise. Peter Kersenow, always a pleasure. Thank you for being so artful and eloquent, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Keep pushing, Bob. We'll do it, sir. Promise. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.